Okay, good morning. <laughs> I throw them off when I come up here. But um, as you know, I don't want to hold it so my kids can see my hands shake. Um, so anyway, good morning. But um, today's scripture reading is from Matthew, chapter 7, verses 13 through 23. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns, or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will know them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did, I'm sorry, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evil doers. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Misty. <laughs> it just kills me. I like to never got her to read the scripture and as she gets up on stage. <laughs> just like, yeah. God is good all the time. God is good. Thank you, Misty. Scripture reading this morning. And uh, again, just awesome music from our praise band. Uh, they do such a wonderful job. We're so appreciative of their sharing their talents. And as we have heard God's word and we seek its meaning for our life today, let's ask God's Holy Spirit to help us in that process in prayer. Gracious God, I just ask now that you would come to us and speak to us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to the power of what your word has to say. We know that your word is is life to us, God. It is instruction. It gives points the way. It shows us your will. Help us to put aside all things that might hinder that, to be open to that. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, God, be acceptable, pleasing to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, a lot long ago, I attended a Little League baseball game, which is always a lot of fun. And uh, as I went to the game, I was kind of taken back by the quality of the uniforms these little kids had on. I mean, these, these were just like one step above T-ball, and yet they had these pinstripe uniforms on that would rival the New York Yankees. I was like, whoa, you know, Little League has come a long way since uh, I was in it, and even my, uh, my children were in it. But I also, I, I was watching the children, you know, go through their bat and stuff, and this one little boy got up to bat, and I was like, whoa, here. I, I, he just kind of took me back by his, uh, the way he approached the plate. And it, it wasn't his hitting. That, I'm not referring to that. What I'm referring to is his batting stance. I mean, he took the, he took the uh, bat and he, he uh, knocked, the, knocked the dirt off his cleats, you know, with the bat. Then he spit in his gloves. He got a good grip, you know. And, and he took his stance in the, in the <laughs> almost like kind of reminiscent of, of Ty Cobb. You know, he's in there. I'm like, wow, man, this is impressive. I want to see what this kid's got to do. And 
Well, that's kind of where the similarities um, <laughs> went apart there from Ty Cobb. Uh, he was a little hesitant to swing at the ball when it was done. He would kind of watch it or he would you know, back away from it. And then when he did swing, he missed it by several feet. And uh, so he, he had great form at the plate. But there just wasn't any content to back it up. And, you know, sometimes I, I recognize that there are a lot of people's lives who are like that little boy in the batting cage there, in his stance. They have good form, but they lack the content that goes along with it. In our text this morning, Jesus addresses, I think, this issue of content versus form. And he, he does so by talking about people with words that... Um, a little unsettling. He, he refers to these people as false prophets, as wolves in sheep clothing, as people to whom he, he'll say, sorry, I never knew you. And I don't know about you, but when I read that passage, I found myself saying, whoa, you know, I, hope, I don't want to be like that. I hope I'm not gonna, you know, Jesus doesn't think that of me someday. And uh, you know, this is typical of what we've been reading over the last several weeks. We've been in a series where we've been looking at this sermon of Jesus known as Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is the sermon where he lays out his vision for what our lives will look like as his disciples. And as we've discovered in this series of sermons, that many of the teachings that he gives us in this sermon are hard teachings. I mean, he doesn't mince words. He cuts to the chase and, and gets right to the point no matter what he's talking about. And, and we find that to be the same thing what's happening here in our text for this morning. As he talks about the difference between the form of religion versus spiritual content or spiritual authenticity and uh, religious form. It looks good on the outside to everybody who sees it, but if it lacks a depth to it, it's not, it's not something that has integrated its way into our daily living. And of course, what Jesus is looking for is he's looking for that spirituality within us that manifests itself into God's will of how we live our lives every day. Uh, Jesus isn't interested in our form uh, how good we appear to be to those around us. Jesus is more looking at beneath that surface level of appearances to the content of our hearts. Because he knows that's what shapes our lives. That's what causes us to be who we are and what we do. In our passage for today, <clears throat> we see that it's possible to have good religious form and yet miss out on being the people that God calls us to be. As the Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy, he says, we, we can have the form of godliness, but deny the power of it. And Jesus says that you know, being religious is simply not enough. It's not enough to, uh, to look good, to act good. I mean, even if you're good at it, I mean, you can, everybody, we have some people who act really well with the form of what they do in, in terms of being a Christian. Uh, if you want to be my disciple, Jesus says, you have to go beneath that appearance, that surface level of things, you have to experience that heart-changing transformation from within, spiritually, that shapes who you are, what you do, everything you say. In other words, form is not good enough. We must strive for content when it comes to our Christian living. And that's not an easy thing for us to do because we're a part of a society that seems to value form much more than content. Uh, we're not always as concerned about what's in the package as we are with what the package looks like, right? I'll give you an example of this. Um, if you've ever bought one of these microwave dinners, 
Uh, some of you may, some of you live off of that, but these microwavable dinners. But do you know that when you buy those microwavable dinners, you're actually paying more for the packaging than you are for the food inside? It's true. I mean, it's, it shouldn't be that way, but the marketers understand, the manufacturers know that if the package isn't appealing, then you're not going to buy it. And so they spend a lot of money making it look appealing and making it look good, even though the food inside usually isn't that great. Uh, but we're more interested in drawing the packaging than actually what's in it. Uh, the same is true that the People magazine comes out with an, art, an issue every year talking about 50 most beautiful people in the world. Some of you may have bought that. It's one of their most popular issues each year. But I have to break it to you. Unfortunately, I've never seen any of us in that image. So, I mean, that issue, so I kind of where that leaves, leaves us. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but it's one of their, their top-selling uh, issues each year because these are beautiful people, right? And we're drawn to beautiful people. Uh, there's something about that for us. Uh, maybe it's because we secretly uh, want to see how we stack up against them, or maybe we want to learn some things how we might look like that or be that way. But here's the thing. When you look beneath the uh, perfect smiles and the perfect hair and the perfect bodies, what you will often discover is that their lives are a mess. Their lives are often characterized by divorce and rehab and addictions and and, uh, conflict within relationships and within their careers and just on and on the list goes. Their lives are typically a mess. They may be the 50 most beautiful people in the world, but they're not the 50 most have-it-all-together kind of people or the 50 most emotionally well-adjusted kind of folks. I don't want to sound judgmental here, but I dare say that they would, any of them would make the 50 most godly people in the world either. But, of course, you know, an entire issue devoted to one of those subjects probably wouldn't sell because as a society, we tend to value form over content. And the truth is, good form is a lot easier to maintain than good content. I mean, it's a lot easier to project a good image than it is to develop a substance behind the image. In high school, I had a Sunday school teacher that I admired greatly. Um, I mean, he just seemed to have the perfect life. He seemed to have everything together. He had a beautiful family. He had a lovely home, had a, you know, charming children, lovely wife, good, great job. And, and I would see them uh, come to church. They would all sit together as a family on the pew together. And then uh, they'd go down and take communion together as a family. And I, I found myself thinking many times growing up that, wow, I, I have a family that's kind of like that. They just seem tight-knit and they seem wonderful. And um, I actually said that to one of his children. As another, he had a son who was in high school about my age, and we were in class together. And, and I said, man, I, I love your family. I said, hope someday I can have a family like that. He said, no, you don't. He said, you don't want your family to be like our family. I said, what do you mean? You have a great family. And he says, um, well, you don't see what things are really like at home. My dad yells at us all the time. He's never in a good mood. Uh, nothing is ever good enough for him. Yeah, you see us sitting together at church on Sunday, but said, you didn't see how he made my mom cry on the way to church that day. I, when I listened to that, I said, you got to be kidding. <laughs> no way. Man, I, he's in class. I see y'all. I mean, just, y'all have a perfect family. But apparently it was true because eventually their marriage ended in divorce. You see, that's the problem with spending so much of our energy developing the package. The problem with that is eventually the package gets opened and everybody gets to see what's really there if you're projecting an image of success and yet you're living beyond your means eventually that's going to catch up with you 
If you're trying to, to project an image of having the perfect marriage, the perfect family, yet the relationships in your family are being poisoned by anger and betrayal and, and uh, hostility toward each other, that eventually that's going to come out. It's going to be seen. If you're trying to project a public image of having this, being this great moral person of integrity, and yet in your personal life you're pursuing a life of sin, that's going to catch up with you. Eventually the package gets opened. Everybody gets to see what's really there. So good form is not enough. A pretty package is not enough. You have to develop good content. And what is true in every other area of our life, I think is especially true when it comes to our life of faith. So Jesus addresses this issue by talking about three things that we can do to ensure that, we, that, that the content of our life is as great or equal to at least the form that we often portray. And he does this in this passage that I'm going to walk you through it. In verse 13, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. I don't envision Jesus making that statement with a smile on his face. I don't think it makes Jesus happy that there are few people who find the way that leads to life. I think he's just stating a hard fact of reality. That there are indeed few who find the way that leads to life. The Greek word that is used for that word find there is an interesting word. It's never used to describe an intense, futile search for something that's hard to find. And you just can't find it. Rather, it's always used to describe something that is found simply by making the effort to find it. I'll give you a couple of examples. In Luke chapter 9, verse 12, the disciples come to Jesus and say, send the crowds away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find, there's that word, find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. And again, in Matthew 20, verse 6, uh, the master tells his servants to go out and find workers for the vineyards. In all the cases where it's used, you find that uh, they're, what they're, whatever it is they're looking for is found simply by making an effort to go look for it. The implication here in this teaching is it's not that you have people that are trying to find the narrow way to life, but they can't find it. It's just the opposite. The implication here is that you can find it, just people don't want to make the effort. Put forth the effort to look for it. But when it comes to form versus content, most people just settle for good form. And um, they just settle for that. They don't really go looking for anything beyond that. I was reading another interesting article about uh, how people decide which church they're going to be a part of. For pastors, those are interesting articles. And uh, as I was reading it, it, uh, it may surprise you to know that most people do not get out their theology books and uh, do a doctrinal analysis of what this nominations, uh, the various denominations in their community, or whether it's how close it comes to the historical Orthodox Christian teachings or not. You know, most people don't do that, <laughs> at least not according to the uh, surveys conducted by Lifeway and the Barna Group. They say that when people decide upon a church to go, they look for these things, a good location, Adequate parking, clean nurseries, friendly people, and convenient service times. There's nothing wrong with having those criteria about looking for a church, but don't let your search for spirituality 
and for content just come to a halt because you can't find a good parking place next to the front door. Uh, we're glad that you chose to be a part of this church. Uh, we really are. Uh, but, you know, there's so much more to being a Christian than just attending church on Sunday morning. So don't stop looking. Keep searching. Not for another church. <laughs> But keep searching for a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ in your life. And remember how Jesus said at the beginning of this chapter, Seek and you will find. Those who seek will find. So Jesus says, you want to have a closer relationship with God? You can have that. You just have to look for it. You have to make it a priority in your life. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29, it says, If you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. If you search after him with all of your heart and soul. It takes a lot more effort to develop a life of content than just having the form of being a Christian. That's why the narrow road is often less traveled. It's because people just don't take the effort to really search for it. But Jesus says those who do will be blessed. They will experience life as it was intended to be lived. So if you want your life to be more than just good form, if you want to develop the content of your life, then you just have to look a little deeper. You have to search a little harder. Seek, and you will find. Secondly, Jesus says we need to examine the content of our lives if you want to have good content. Uh, In verse 15, he says, Watch out for those false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Well, if you're a gardener and you've had fruit trees, you know that Jesus is speaking in generalities here. There are, you can't have a good apple tree that produces occasionally a bad apple. Um, but if that tree consistently produces bad apples, and you know, you've got something wrong with a tree. Uh, just because it produces one doesn't make it worthless, and we're all s- sinners in that. But, uh, you know, Jesus is pointing out here, he's using this example to talk about false prophets. But I think he's also giving us some tools here of how we need to examine our lives. And here's the test. He says in verse 20, by their fruit, you will recognize them. What kind of fruit is Jesus talking about here? I don't think he's talking about religious works because later on he he talks about these people who did these admirable religious works and yet they didn't know him. So what kind of fruit is he talking about? Well, if you listen to any of Jesus' teachings, you'll realize that he's talking about Christ-likeness. He's talking about holy living, personal holiness. The same kind of fruit that the Apostle Paul talks about in Galatians when he gives those fruit to the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, is peace, is patience, is kindness, is goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You remember how Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples by what? By your love. I mean, this is the kind of fruit that we should be producing in our lives. And this is the kind of fruit that we have to look for as we examine ourselves. In 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. In order to have a life of content and not just merely the form of religion, then you have to examine your life periodically. 
You have to examine the kind of fruit that you're producing. Do you treat others with love? Do you have a sense of joy in your life? Are you experiencing God's peace? Are you patient when things don't go your way? Do you treat others with kindness? Do you try to do all the good you can in all the ways that you can at all times? Are you living a life of faithfulness to God, to your spouse, to your family, to your friends? When you go to correct someone, do you do that with a spirit of gentleness? When things don't go your way, are you able to practice self-control? And if you examine the fruits of your life and you see a bunch of rotten fruit, of bad fruit, then that's telling you you need to turn to God and say, Lord, I recognize the content of my life is not what it should be. And you earnestly pray, Lord, take the anger away from me and, and fill it with love. Take the bitterness in my life away and fill it with joy. Take the, the inward struggles and the, the turmoil that I'm going through and let me experience your peace. Take away anything that doesn't look like you. Examining the fruit of your life can be a painful experience. It's like a pruning experience. But it can also be redeeming. It can be uh, refreshing, rewarding, or even freeing. It is the only way to ensure that you're developing uh, a life of spiritual content and substance, authenticity as a disciple, as opposed to just good form. If you want to have good content in your spiritual life, you have to examine your spiritual life, the fruit of your life. Thirdly, in order to have good fruit versus good form, you have to get to know Jesus. You have to get to know Jesus. And in verse 21, this is what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, when I read that passage, there were three things that really jumped out to me here. First of all, in verse 21, he says, the one who does the will of my father. Jesus makes it very plain here that those who want to get to heaven, the kingdom of God, are those who do God's will. Uh, I just can't put it, make it any clearer here. To be rewarded with eternal life means that it's not that we're doing what we want to do here on this earth. We are doing what God wants us to do. It is to surrender our will to God's will. It is to seek to, to follow God as our master, to, to please Jesus in all that we do, to live like him. It, it is to ask ourselves that question every day. Am I doing God's will with my life today? The second thing that stood out for me was um, what Jesus says, away from me, you evildoers. Because notice who he's talking about here. He's talking about people who have prophesied, cast out demons, and done many miracles all in the name of Jesus. So why does he call them evildoers? Well, you have to recognize that all of those things he described in his world were these high high-profile, uh, kind of uh, flashy forms of ministry. You don't hear these people saying, didn't we feed the poor in your name? <laughs> didn't we uh, 
show love to those who were lost? Didn't we reach out to those who were hurting in our society? Jesus, I think, called them evildoers because every religious thing they did was all about show and nothing beyond that. This is especially true of the religious leaders of his day. And I think you still see this attitude sometimes in the church, even today. There are those who just want to be a part of those glamorous uh, uh, forms of ministry in the church. They want to be on stage. They want to uh, teach a class. They want to be lead a committee or chair a committee or something like that. And, and yet it's hard to find people who are willing to rake the yards of uh, shut-ins or to um, clean bathrooms or to visit nursing home uh, folks or to um, change dirty diapers. I think Jesus is saying that if your spiritual life is really about the form of what you do for others to see is just for show, then you don't have that spiritual content that he's talking about, the depth to your life. You just have the form of godliness. The other phrase that jumps out to me here is verse 23. Is, I never knew you. And here I think Jesus is pointing out clearly what he wants most from us more than anything else. And that is to know us. Uh, he, 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 if a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is what he wants more than anything else. Uh, and that's what we must seek as well as we examine our lives. To develop a life of content means having a relationship with Jesus that extends beyond our public life into our personal life. As Jesus says in John's Gospel, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. The psalmists, uh, they declare, O oh Lord, all my longing is known to you. My sighing is not hidden from you. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. Even when a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. It's a personal relationship that God longs for us more than anything else. So spend some time with him. <laughs> Get to know him. Talk to him. Uh, strive to do his will. You know, strive to be faithful to him, even though there's no recognition for it. This is how we make sure that our life consists of spiritual content and not just good form. So in today's lesson, Jesus calls us to a life of spiritual content rather than the outward form of being religious. He calls us to something much deeper because the package is eventually going to get opened and everybody's going to be able to see what's really inside. That's inevitable for all of us. Well, we all know those people who their public image didn't match their private image. You've seen that in entertainers. You've seen it in athletes. You've seen it in politicians. You've seen it in religious leaders. Uh, but it doesn't have to be true for you or for me. Your private life can match your public life. Jesus can make that happen. It won't happen by accident. It happens by making that a priority. We focus on the content of our life. Developing that rather than just the outward picture that we want to portray. If you examine your life and you find that your personal life doesn't match your public life, then Jesus can help change that. That's what he's best at. He can help build the content into something that pleases God and helps us to experience life as it was intended to be. So be one of the few who try to follow the narrow way who take the time to really look for it, examine your life, see what fruit needs to be changed. T ask God to take away anything that shouldn't be there, that's not being like Jesus. Get to know Jesus. Spend time with him. Strive to follow him. 
Again, this is the difference between form and content. Between having the form of being religious and having spiritual authenticity as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Indeed, that road is narrow and it's hard, Jesus says. But when you look at the alternative, isn't it worth it? (laughs) Isn't it truly what you desire to have that kind of life? Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we hear these words, they are hard words because they convict us all of that, those areas in our life that need to be changed. We long, God, to, to experience life as you created it for us. and we, we know that we've fallen short of that. Thank you for your grace that cleanses us, forgives us, that loves us in spite of our sin. God, as we recognize these things, may we turn to you because we can't do this on our own. We have to have your help. May your Holy Spirit help us, Lord. So as we feel that call upon our lives today, may we offer our lives to you, that we truly, you can truly have the content within our lives, not just the form. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.